Daniel chapter 9, we're trying to finish Daniel's prayer. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11 because that will bring us up to where we start today in verse 12. Verse 8, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face to our kings, our princes, and our fathers because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed, transgressed your law, and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. The curse written in the law of Moses. And so God told the people if they would obey his commands and be faithful to him, he would keep them in the land. But if they were unfaithful, if they violated his commands, they would be vomited out of the land, and that's what happened. They were taken into captivity in Babylon. But that's where we pick it up. We'll pick it up in verse 12. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what's happening in our world today, Lord. It is exciting for us as believers because out of all the generations who have ever lived on this planet, we are the ones who get to see the fulfillment and the fruition of all the prophecies of your word. We thank you, God. And we ask that you would use this time of Bible study to continue to prepare us, to train us, to equip us to be end-time saints. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven such as never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. So again... To recap a little bit, Daniel is aware from his studies in the Word of God that's been written up to that point. In Jeremiah specifically, Daniel is aware that those in captivity in Babylon are coming near the end of the time that God proclaimed the 70 years. They're about three years short of 70 years. And so Daniel is recounting these things and he's acknowledging that the reason they got taken into captivity in the first place was because of their own sins. So all the warnings issued by the prophets had come to pass. Daniel sees the judgment of his people as the fulfillment of prophecy. If our God wasn't a God who keeps his word, and again, there are blessings in the scriptures, and there are warnings in the scriptures, but if God is in any way inconsistent but the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If our God wasn't a God who keeps his word, even if it means allowing his own people to be taken into captivity for their chastisement, then he wouldn't be a God worth following, would he? But he is a God who consistently keeps his word. And that's good news for those who know him, love him, follow him. So verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. As it is written in the law of Moses, so Daniel is reminded of God's commandments 
as handed down through Moses. And he says, all this disaster has come upon us. Leviticus 18.28, God tells them, if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. And that's exactly what happened. They defile the land through idolatry. And if ancient Israel was defiled, can you imagine how defiled modern America is? And by the way, we saw the little video, the anti-Thanksgiving crowd trying to distort the truth behind the celebration of Thanksgiving. But Ted shared with us a nice little brief synopsis last week of the history of Thanksgiving and how this nation was founded by Bible-believing, born-again Christians, children of God, who had a vision to evangelize the indigenous population of this continent and to establish a haven for the free, free worship of God according to the dictates of one's own heart and mind. That's the truth. So really, and I, I personally see the United States as the last bastion of what God established originally with Israel Israel failed their calling. They were to be the light to the rest of the world. They failed. In the last days, America was to be the light to the rest of the world. And for a couple hundred years, we succeeded. We've sent more missionaries all over the world than any other nation. We've printed more Bibles than any other nation in the history of the world. This nation was founded by God for God's purposes. But just like ancient Israel became defiled, now America has become defiled. Leviticus 20, 22, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them, that the land where I'm bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. And that's what Daniel is referring to here as it is written in the law of Moses. He's not talking just about the Ten Commandments, but the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, were written by Moses. 9.14, therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. In other words, he kept his word. He did what I told you not to do. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. You see, God's perfection, his righteousness, demands that he judge sin. He cannot do otherwise. It's absolutely contrary to his nature to let sin go unchecked. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. The only hope for the human race was a perfect, sinless blood sacrifice. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sins. If you don't accept that price that Christ paid, then you will pay the price yourself. It's that simple. But we've not obeyed his voice. It only makes sense to obey the holy, righteous God, doesn't it? The creator of the universe, to do otherwise is foolish and results in disaster. Daniel is referring here to the disaster of his people being murdered, slaughtered, and the ones who survived taken into captivity and bondage in Babylon. Verse 15. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, 
and made yourself a name as it is this day. We have sinned. We've done wickedly. Again, glorifying God for the great things he's done, but taking personal accountability for the sins of his people who brought your people out of Egypt. So here Daniel reflects on the greatest redemptive event of Israel's history, the exodus from Egypt, and prayed that God would repeat what he had done long ago, an exodus back to Israel from Babylon. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of, for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. According to your righteousness, or one translation says, your righteous acts. God always has and always will be righteous in dealing with his people. His greatest desire and ultimate goal is to bless his people. And yet, sometimes, the pathway to blessing comes through chastisement. Let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. So even though Daniel was aware of the prophecy in Jeremiah and God's promise to deliver his people, he didn't just sit back and wait for it to happen, folks. This is an important point. He sought the Lord earnestly with prayer, fasting, sackcloth and ashes, confession and repentance. We should never take the promises of God for granted. I'm afraid that perhaps too many people do that. We just take the promises of God for granted. We expect the blessings. And there is a good thing about having a sense of expectation, but along with that, there's a need for constant reminder, just like Daniel reminds himself here of the Exodus what God had done for them in the past. We are to come before the Lord with thanksgiving, with thankfulness in our hearts, not just demanding things, but thanking Him for that which He's already done. We should never take the promises of God for granted. And even for me in my prayers as I go before the Lord and thank Him for all the blessings, I can't help but acknowledge before Him I'm totally undeserving. All the blessings you've given me, all the things you've done for me, God, I know I don't deserve them. And that's what makes it all the more amazing. Verse 17, Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. When the Babylonians took the people of Judea and Jerusalem captive, they destroyed the temple, they destroyed the city and the temple. For the Lord's sake, or for your sake, God, Israel's restoration, and indeed the restoration of any fallen believer, is for God's glory. When His people languish in sin and judgment, His name is tarnished. We know that, right? People often judge a man, a woman, a couple, by the behavior of their children, right? for better or for worse, for right or for wrong. They could be great parents, but sometimes kids just turn out rotten. Why? Because we have a sin nature. And yet they will, they will blame you. You're responsible for the actions of your kids, and so God gets the blame when His kids act up. 
Cause your face to shine on your sanctuary. Again, a reference to Solomon's temple, which had lain in ruins since 586 B.C. Verse 18. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. So first of all, Daniel starts by taking responsibility for all this. God, it's our fault. We sinned against you. You told us what would happen. We did it anyway. But now he's calling upon the love, the grace, the mercy of God to deliver them. Incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, because we don't have any, but because of your great mercies. The city which is called by your name. Of all the cities in the world, only Jerusalem bore the name of the living God. For it to be laying in desolation and ruin, it brought shame to the name of God and his people. But what an awesome God we serve. He loves us so much. Listen to this. He was willing to allow his name to be shamed in order to bring his people to repentance and restore them. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, most humiliating thing that could have ever happened to the Son of God, beaten within an inch of his life by Roman soldiers, nailed to a cross. That was the death of the most vile of criminals. And he did it for us. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. New Living Translation, he was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. New Revised Standard Version. For the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. You know, a lot of people take a great deal of pride in their appearance, don't they? And they go to great lengths to try to maintain it. It's called plastic surgery. <laughs> but for Jesus... Coming down to earth and taking on the appearance of a man was a massive downgrade. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so we see here, even with the children of Israel, God allowed himself to be made to look bad because he loved the children of Israel, wanted them to repent, wanted them to be restored, so he allowed the city and the temple to be destroyed, discrediting himself for the long-range goal of restoring his people. We do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. And folks, this always needs to be our approach with God. We ask, O oh God, not because we're deserving, but because you are a merciful God. Remember what mercy means? Not getting what 
we deserve. And I tell you all the time, don't ever go before God and demand that he give you what you deserve. <laughs> Not a good idea. Not a good idea. You are a merciful God. Part of my daily prayers, four things I always thank God for, his love, his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. So important, so valuable. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. So first Daniel says, O Lord, hear. Hear my prayer of confession and repentance. O Lord, forgive the sins of your people. O Lord, listen and act. On the basis of our confession and repentance and on the basis of your divine love and mercy, fulfill, Father, your promise to restore us. Do not delay. That's what I pray all the time. Lord, do not delay your coming. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come quickly. Do not delay. The 70 years is almost up. Three years to go. Take us home according to your promise. Jesus told us in Luke 21, 28, when you see these things begin to happen, maybe the things like we just watched, you think? When you see these things beginning to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. 1 Corinthians 16, 22, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, which means cursed. Gee, that's so mean. That's so harsh. That's so cruel. Really? It's a choice. You can choose to love Jesus. Why should you love Jesus? Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends on the cross. Why should you love Jesus? Because he first loved you. It's a choice. And again, just like with the children of Israel, obey my commands, you'll stay in the land. Disobey me, it's going to vomit you out. Love the Lord Jesus. And if not, let him be cursed. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's okay to say that. It's okay to pray that. And then Daniel says to God, for your own sake. We must never forget, folks, that our salvation and our redemption is ultimately for God's glory. What I tell you all the time, it's all about Him. The problem with this world, everybody thinks it's all about them. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's all about Him. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. When God does a transforming work in your life, yeah, it's great, it's wonderful, it feels good. But ultimately, it's to the praise of His glory. Look what God has done in his life, in her life, in my life. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. You and I, we are the purchased possessions. The completion and fulfillment of our redemption will be when we see him face to face. When we are transformed, we receive our immortal, imperishable, eternal, heavenly bodies. Until the redemption of the purchased possession, again, to the praise of his glory. Daniel says to God, for your own sake, God. And I believe Daniel was sincere. He wasn't trying to manipulate God. You know, play mind games with God. Daniel meant it. Daniel wanted his God to be glorified, and he knew that in fulfilling his promise to the children of Israel, bringing them back to the promised land, rebuilding the temple, that God would be glorified. For your city and your people are called by your name. Although God is blameless, when his people mess up and have to be chastised, it tends to make him look bad. We talked about that. Daniel makes the case that returning the Jewish people to their land, that they might in turn restore Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, would remove the stain upon God's name brought about by their disobedience and rebellion. By keeping his promise to his people, which he always does, by the way, God would silence those who had tried to discredit him. That's another reason I believe very strongly in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Because in that moment, God will be vindicated. Many will still blind their eyes. They will close their eyes. They'll refuse to believe the truth. But many others will recognize, you know what? God and his people were right and we were wrong. And I told you before, I think the greatest revival in human history will happen right after we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Remember last week, I shared one of my favorite verses. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. We are now part of him. If you're a born-again believer, you are part of God. Christ is in you, you are in Christ, and he's in the Father. We're all interconnected. And God, therefore, will not deny himself, even when we fall short, even when we are faithless. And so, why did the Jews wind up in captivity? They were faithless. But God was faithful. Keep in mind now, there's, a, there's an interesting distinction here to make as we close. God dealt with the Israelites by and large, corporately, as a nation. Their national identity and identity as worshipers of Jehovah was integrated. But as participants in the new covenant, our relationship is somewhat different. Philippians 3.20 tells us, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. Are you eagerly waiting for the Savior? Again, there are many in the church today who are not. They think it's hogwash. They think it's baloney. They're more focused on the here and the now. But it's biblical to be eagerly awaiting your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Focused on that. 1 Peter 2.9, 
You are a chosen generation. Boy, you can say that for sure about this group. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people that you may, here it is again, you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's part of your testimony. He brought me out of darkness into the light, out of death into life. And although we most definitely should pray for our nation and its leaders and make every effort to elect men and women who will uphold godly biblical values, notice ultimately our citizenship is in heaven, we are part of a holy nation, and the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to us await us in eternity. Let's stand. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, I'm going to ask for a show of hands for those who have a prayer request this morning. Quite a few, as always. Father, we thank you that we can come before you. You promised us that if we would ask anything in Jesus' name, that you would hear that prayer. Lord, you also said if we would ask anything according to your will, that you would answer that prayer. Father, we confess for you this morning, we don't always know your perfect will. And so as we come with our requests, we acknowledge that everything that we're asking for this morning is subject to your will. But Lord, we can imagine quite easily that it would be your will to heal those who are sick. Lord, we know that ultimately we all face physical death, which will then be our promotion into eternity. But Lord, we would like to be as healthy as possible while we're here for the purpose of being able to serve you better, being able to serve our fellow man better, our husbands, our wives, our children, our grandchildren, our friends, other family members, Lord, neighbors. Lord, we know you've called us to be the servant of all. That's what your word says. If we want to be great in God's kingdom, at least, we're to become the servant of all. So we pray for physical healing, Lord. You know what's going on with each one. Each one of these hands that went up that had to do with health, physical health, we pray, God, that you would pour out your healing upon them. The power of your Holy Spirit might come upon them and deliver them from their afflictions. And Lord, as we talked about in our message, we will be quick to give you the praise and the glory. We will honor you because we know that it's all about you. It's not about us. We do pray for physical healing, Lord, regardless of whether it's just a very insignificant thing or a very big one. Lord, you know it's all under the blood of Christ. Nothing is too difficult for you. So, Lord, I pray that you'd fill each one with faith right now that is seeking you for healing. Fill them with faith to believe, to trust, to hope. And again, we ultimately look to your will to be done. We pray also for mental and emotional issues, Lord. Those need healing as well. The anxiety, the depression, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, all these things that plague us. We lift them up to you now. We ask you to forgive us for embracing those things, and we ask you to set us free in Jesus' name. We pray for deliverance from every type of mental and emotional affliction. Now, in Jesus' name, we also pray for relationships that have been damaged or broken, for friendships, for marriages, for work relationships, school, neighborhood, wherever it might be, Father. You've called us to be in the world, but not of it. And so, therefore, we're here to be a light. We're here to be a witness 
And that can be hindered if there's damage or brokenness in a relationship. So we lift those things up to you now. We pray for wisdom and guidance on how we can best facilitate reconciliation, healing, repair. Lord, whenever possible, help us to do our part and help us to trust you for the rest. But we do pray, Lord, there can be much pain and sorrow involved with broken marriages, broken friendships, and so forth. We pray for healing in those areas. And we also pray for financial provision. Lord, we're at that time of year where there's a tremendous focus on the material. We ask you to help us keep our focus on you. But at the same time, it can be a time of great joy or a time of great discouragement and depression, depending upon where one's finances are at. So we pray for provision. Lord, help us to keep our focus on those things which we need rather than those things which we want. You've promised to provide for our needs. Help us to remember that, to focus on that. And Lord, we pray that those who are really discouraged and downcast about finances, that you'd encourage them, uplift them, give them wisdom and guidance, that they might be able to do their part in repairing the situation. And for that which is beyond our control, we pray for your supernatural, divine provision, whatever way you choose to do that. But Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we praise you and we thank you. And we offer up now our final offering of praise to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.